Muskan translates into smile. I just wanted to build a brand that made everyone happy, whether it was, you know, the packaging or the formula or the, you know, charity aspect of it, or just like when they put my lipstick on, it should make them feel like, okay, I'm going to have a great day. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani. I'm your host, Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Sabine Zia, creator and owner of the brand Muskan, the cosmetic brand with which you not only look good, you can also do good. Sabine joins us via Zencaster from South Philly. Welcome, Sabine. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I was doing some research. The amount of um, toxic substances, like the ancient Egyptians used lead in their face powder or, or the Elizabethan, I will get that word right now, <laughs> used arsenic-laden face powder. Tell me a little bit, a little history about the cosmetic industry. Um, yeah, so I think in the 90s and even probably in the early 2000s, um, there was still lead found in a lot of the lipsticks, especially the corporate brands. Um, it's just something that they pulled from history and it worked for people without realizing what the health hazards were. And as we grow and time passes, we're, we've learned a lot more about ingredients and um, you know what's good and what's bad. So the industry is changing according to that. Um, but I just remember like when I was younger, my mom would wear lipstick and obviously as a little girl, I would be intrigued by it. And then as I got older, I would learn about all the lead content and all the hazardous um, ingredients that were in there. So, you know, learning and getting more information has uh, we advance, I think, um, the industry is definitely changing, even even in the corporate world. I mean, I think they they still have a lot to change, but um, you know, small brands like Muscon and and many other brands that are really great in the industry have changed the entire image of what goes into your lipsticks and what goes into your makeup and how to you know stay healthy via cosmetics. So why were they using lead? I know like lead is used in ceramics, you know, in the glazes in the ceramics, not ceramics. It's uh, Yeah, I, I believe it, it held the lipsticks together. Um, it gave that color payoff as well. Um, so it was more about just like putting together whatever it took to put that product together. They did it. So I think there was always a lack of ingredients and a lack of supplies back then as well. Um, today, we, we have endless endless um, options to put things together, which is still a learning process. Um, from a chemist point of view, it's still something that I feel like we're all learning. And every day it's a new challenge of like, okay, we have a natural product, but how do we stabilize it? And how do we preserve it and make sure that there's no bacteria growing? So, you know, it's still something that we know is out there and is possible, but um, we still need to play around and test it out. Yeah, and there's far more awareness now um, about what these different ingredients do to our bodies compared to in what in the early, even 1900s, because I believe till 1938, uh, the cosmetics industry did not have to list uh, their ingredients. And I think this was fully enforced uh, maybe in around 1972, 
So till then, even though there was some awareness, so how are the companies getting away with lead? You said till recently they had lead in the lipstick. How are they getting away with that? It's just because there's no uh, regulation in the cosmetic industry. So, you know, you have the food industry and they're heavily regulated with the FDA and OSHA. um, But in the cosmetic industry, in the U.S. at least, there's only about 30 to 35 ingredients that are banned. As for Europe, they're a lot more strict than the U.S. and they have over like 300 ingredients. Um, so it's because of that. It's because um, no one's really enforcing, you know, what ingredients are going into your products um, until recently. And so, you know, they're, you, that list of 30, but that's not enough. There's still a lot more that need to be banned. And until it's reinforced, companies will still do it, especially the larger ones, because they can, they have better, you know, financial departments and legal departments. So they find ways to still get away with it because it's cheaper and it's quicker and easier to, to do. So it's it's more about just regulation and what we need to do in the U.S. to change it. So who comes up with these 30 lists, which, which is the agency which is responsible for that? So they probably have some responsibility for oversight of what ingredients go into the cosmetics, right? So today there's actually several different organizations that are putting the list together. You know, between the FDA saying, okay, these are your X amount of ingredients, there is also EWG, which is the Environmental Working Group. And it's a great website to go on and actually search the ingredients that you may be looking at in a product because you can enter in the ingredient and it will give you the level of like toxicity and what may be harmful and what may still be okay. Because we still have to remember that some of the ingredients are harmless, but because their name might not be pronounceable, people get scared of it. And that's actually, that's not true either. So there are ingredients that are completely okay, but you know, you have access to information, like, you know, go on these websites. Uh, EcoCert is actually a European organization um, and they check everything from the uh, packaging to the ingredient and the source of the ingredients. They have a whole list and of ingredients that include the 300 banned ingredients in Europe. But it's a good reference to if you want to look at something in the U.S., you can refer to their list as well. Yeah, that probably makes sense because whenever I've shopped at the Boots in UK, which is like our CVS, I always found many interesting products, many more natural products, and I didn't realize it's probably because of the regulations, the products they put out there have a higher standard. So why do those brands not just come here? Why are, I'm I'm trying to think of a brand which is there um, in Europe, but not here. Why do they not? Or when they they do come here, do they just adhere to the American standards and not? No, they don't. They don't change any of their standards. Um, But it also, I think, has to do a lot with uh, the retailers here and the cost that it will take to bring a brand here internationally, you know, export costs and uh, conversion rate, you know, what they're getting and shipping costs. Uh, I think that starts to come into play. So it really just depends on the retailer and, you know, the brand of how they would make that work. I have some brands at my my shop as well that are international, but it does have a high cost of shipping. And so we have to figure out a way where we both come to a point where we can make it work for both of us. But it's not easy. So I think there's, I guess when it comes to that, uh, shipping companies, 
definitely get the advantage. But then it's also like volume. So a lot of the brands, if they're small, they may not produce enough to make it worth it for a retailer in the US to bring it in. And, you know, to to give small orders, you'd have to pay for shipping every two months to reorder the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's this brand called Forest Essentials in uh, India, which is beautiful. I used to buy some of their lotions and other products, which were, I would say, a little bit more expensive than going out and buying another higher-end brand. They were very, very good quality, well-packaged and thoughtfully made but once, I think now L'Oreal or somebody bought them, like me or L'Oreal bought them, and the pricing has changed and everything has changed. It's, it's com- become completely unaffordable. This is the same, the bigger brands just buying a mid-sized brand and changing the pricing and making it inaccessible. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's, it's pretty bittersweet in my opinion. Um, you know, small brands have definitely become a lot more popular in the last few years. And it's really because I think people love that personal connection to the brand where they're walking in or they're looking online and they see the small brand that has really put their heart and soul into making a product. So people are becoming more aware of, you know, what brands they're using, what ingredients they're using, and they love that small brand feel. And as a small brand, it's it's a great opportunity to have a corporate brand approach you because it helps you with marketing and financially and things like that. But it is a corporate brand, so these corporate brands will change your story, your image completely. And so that's something I think when you come to that point and you do get that opportunity – You have to just, as a brand owner, ask yourself, do you want to continue being an independent brand or is it more important to you to go corporate? Because if you go corporate, it's not your brand anymore. It's theirs and they can change it however they want. And so, you know, unfortunately, some brands have definitely changed, like the one you're mentioning, um, and they have every right to do it because they're upscaling a lot more. They are going to produce in a larger volume rather than small batches you know, they already have a plan set that this new brand now has to follow. Yeah. And, and I'm, I thought about Birdsweez. That's another brand which was bought by a corporate. Yeah. And they, they were independent for a very long time. They were doing really well. So I'm, I'm not aware of which corporate brand uh, purchased them. But sometimes brands get too big too fast and they do need that help. And that seems to be the best decision sometimes. So what makes a product natural? How would you define a natural product? Is it 100% or 90% or? Yeah, it, does, it doesn't have to be 100% to be considered natural. So if I could interrupt uh, you, what do you mean natural? Uh, using natural ingredients that are, you know, plant-based or um, organic. It just depends on which, what origin they are from of the ingredient itself. You could have coconut oil, but there's also synthetic coconut oil, and then there's organic coconut oil. And that's also debatable. Like, you know, I might say something and someone else might not agree. It also depends, I think, on the different levels of like green beauty and what you think is green beauty. So some people may just say, I want a natural product. And some people may say, I want an organic product. And, um, but 
natural basically you know you can't have certain ingredients um you can't have the synthetic uh preservatives or the parabens um a lot of ing- products you know parabens were preservatives but now they're deemed to be you know toxic and so many many brands have actually either they've stopped using it or they don't use it at all i think even the definition of natural is it's very different for everybody and i think that's where the confusion comes in because you know you have someone say my brand is natural and then someone comes in and was like well you use x y and z so for even for my lipsticks i have um natural ingredients but i also have pigments in there which some people may not consider okay this is 100% natural but i am also not claiming it's 100% natural with that said the pigments that i'm using are not sourced from any animal byproducts or harmful ingredients and i'm using the max amount that you know would be considered to be a natural or organic product so there's a lot of like limitations that you can use especially when it comes to color cosmetics that's something that i think green beauty is still working on to make you know a nars level uh foundation but from a natural formula because there are so many limitations when you're formulating a natural foundation if that makes yes. sense so do you have background in chemistry so how did you start your brand muskan i love the name um so it's been a funny story uh you know like when i was in college i started out with pharmacy school and that was something that i instantly was like i can't do this like i don't think i want to too do much this. stability and um, too much money <laughs> i to maybe you know i was like you know my parents are like okay you're not going to be a doctor you got to be something medical and i was like all right um but then even with that when i transferred into another program it was toxicology which was not any better but then i did my toxicology degree at northeastern in boston and when i got out i realized toxicologists are all like master students or phd's so when i went in for interviews i'm like oh man <laughs> this is going to be tough i'm competing with people with like much experience so then i ended up working in a lab and i started working at sephora part time because we had moved to texas and i didn't know anyone so i picked up a second job sephora was like so cool like you know dream come true and I was that girl who didn't even wear makeup so I don't know what I was doing there. <laughs> But long story short, I you know had to go back for my masters and I was like it'd be great to like combine you know the Sephora worlds with my science worlds and when I searched it, I found this co- cosmetic chemistry program in uh, North Jersey at Fairleigh Dickinson and I applied and I got in. I had applied to L'Oreal actually and I got a job there. So I was a chemist for them for 2 years. Uh so I was going to school and working full time for my graduate degree. And that's how I kind of fell into it. So L'Oreal was really great for someone who's starting their career off in this world. They don't have you doing like five things at once. They just have you formulating or you know being at the bench. But then uh I moved back home and I found a position with a mineral makeup company. And that's where I got to learn a lot about like natural products and you know the limitations with natural products, the benefits with it. I was managing their production lab. Mm-hmm. So like for example where I was talking home? about where's home? Philly or Uh no, it was in Houston. Okay. Um it was the mineral makeup brand called Color Science. And I was uh managing their their uh, production lab for all their liquid products and their powder foundations. 
So that's what I was saying earlier. Like it's very hard to match a NARS foundation with a natural one because all the pigments we were, we were getting are minerals and all the minerals you get a new batch. It may not be the same shade. So you would have to readjust your formula every time you made a large batch, if that makes sense. You know, like we, and it would be a very slight, slight difference. Like, Oh, one is a little bit lighter than the last batch, but when you put it together, it was a big difference. So, you know, if you're going and buying your refill, you're like, Hey, I'm like, you know, tan and you get an, you get another refill and it's not the same shade. You're going to be upset as a customer. It was a great opportunity for me to um to learn about the limitations and how to troubleshoot formulas. But then I moved forward and I went to a hair care company, and that's where I got to learn about marketing and product development. And that was one of the one of my favorite jobs because I got to do a lot more than just formulate and produce. And then, so when I moved to Philly, I realized there aren't a lot of job opportunities here unless I like drive up to Jersey or New York. And um, eventually I wanted to do my own thing. So my husband was very supportive, I must say. He's like, you know, let's just go for it. So that's where Muscon was born. And um, Muscon, it translates into smile. And um, I just wanted to build a brand that made everyone happy, whether it was you know, the packaging or the formula or the, you know, charity aspect of it, or just like when they put my lipstick on, it should make them feel like, okay, I'm going to have a great day. So I thought Muscon would be a cute name. Um, a lot of the indie brands have very unique names. Sometimes you can't pronounce half of them. And I was like, okay, well, I'm sure Muscon, you know, is unique and uh, will work well with, you know, the image, but it also, it's a very nice translation. So let's do it. And lipsticks are something that like is easier for someone to try if it's a new brand versus like a mascara or foundation because it's, you know, your eyes and your skin, but lipsticks people are always buying and it's also easy to try on. So I always say like, you know, you can see all the lipstick colors. If one you're not really used to just try it on. If you don't like it, you just need to take a tissue and just wipe it off. So I thought I would start with that. Um, So I have five shades right now. And they're all certified vegan, cruelty-free, gluten-free. Halal-free. And and that was a pretty big uh, learning experience for me too because, you know, some of the certifications, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of questions. And it is not cheap. So, you know, but I thought it was all worth it. And I also wanted to find a way to really stand out because there's a lot of great brands out there that have lipsticks. And so I wanted to see, you know, what would be something unique to my brand. And halal is very, it's similar to kosher, if no one's familiar with that. Um, But it's for the green beauty, the clean beauty world. um, What makes a product halal is they will inspect the raw materials. But on top of that, they'll inspect the production line to make sure there's no cross-contamination with animal byproducts, GMOs, and alcohol. So, you, you know, for anyone looking for a clean product, you always look at products that certify their ingredients, but we never ask the question like, was it also produced clean? Was there any cross-contamination during production? So that's what they check and that makes it halal certified. So I thought that was something unique and I, I believe there's still a lot more education that needs to be done on my part to, uh, you know, 
introduce and educate on why halal is for everybody in terms of the lipstick. And so I think it's something, again, new to the market, but something that would interest people. It's pretty popular in Europe and in the Asian market. To be certified as halal, I have two questions. So who certifies you as being certified halal through that procedure that you just explained to us? And second, uh, should they be free from animal testing too? So would that also, though it's not, you're not using animal products, it's not there in the assembly, in the manufacturing line. If you tested it on animal, animals, would that be considered a violation to be certified? Uh, yes, it would. They test for everything because this isn't considered a food item. So, um, you know, there's different guidelines for the food aspect of it. But because this is a cosmetic product, they want to make sure that there's no animal byproducts, no animal testing with the ingredients and during production. So they ask for every ingredient's MSDS sheet, which is like the material safety data sheet. And then they will ask for the origin of every ingredient. So they will look at a lot more detail um, than other certifications do. And then they actually go to the production facility and um, double check everything. You know, when people ask, like, what's the difference between halal and maybe vegan? Vegan, if there's a milk cleanser, that can't be vegan certified. But a halal, uh, a milk cleanser can be halal certified as long as there's no animal byproducts or they're using like oat milk or whatever. So if you look at the ingredient list of um, regular big corporate brand lipstick and your ingredient list, what would be the main things that you've eliminated from the corporate brands and which would be the more important ingredients in yours, which you said, yes, now I substituted. Parabens, um, beeswax, uh, that's something people used a lot in, in like the corporate ingredients. Um, that wouldn't be considered vegan. Um, lanolin oil, that was something that a lot of people did not did not prefer. So no parabens, um, propylene glycol, um, and then a lot of the pigments. Like um, there was an ingredient; it was red. It was red in a number, um, and that was they were sourcing it from beetles. And that's actually, that was a very common ingredient in a lot of like your ingredients, a lot of your lipsticks in the 90s. I think carmine. Carmine, yeah. Like, sorry. <laughs> and so that, and then also synthetic um, perfumes too. So instead of adding flavor to your lipstick, especially because you're tasting it, they used uh, synthetic, so it had alcohol in it and it was just not a real flavor. So a couple of things would be those, I think, um, that are not in mind. Even I think today there's some products that are like 100% organic, but their pigments are very sheer because when you have to be organic, you can't use a certain level of the pigments, even if they're from a natural source. It's it's just depending on like what type of product you're looking for and what type of pigments you're looking for. If you want something with a lot of color or you just want something sheer, there would be different levels of that. So you have right now lipsticks. What are your future plans? Ideally, I do want a full line of my cosmetics. Um, like I said, lipsticks was a good way to start it because people are always, you know, intrigued to try a new lipstick. But once I have a loyal base of customers that, you know, trust me and know that, okay, the Muscan is a good brand and they're loving it, um, 
I eventually do want to move forward to uh, mascaras and eyeliners and foundations. Foundations are probably going to be the last item to complete everything, but do like, you know, your bronzers and highlighters. And then hopefully if it's doing really well, then get into skincare eventually. Um, But right now the focus would just be to grow the cosmetic uh, color portion of it. And then we do give back. uh, So it's called Mission Muscan. And so basically Mission Smile. um, And I choose small charities that are doing really big things, but they don't have the exposure or the funds to like market it like the larger charities do. So it's like very similar concept to like a large corporate brand versus a small brand. But these these charities are doing really great things and they give uh, 100% or, or more than 90% back to the um, to the cause. So I found a couple of good ones when I first launched and I'm always looking for more. So if you ha- if you know any, just let me know. Um, but I change them up every uh, often. And can a customer choose too? I saw somewhere where you could decide like, I want to give it to this particular... Yeah, so I choose uh, two to three charities at a time. Um, so far, it's been two. And then when you're checking out on my website, you can sh- read about the two charities and then choose which one you'd want your sale to go to. And that's the reason I did that is because, you know, I want to reach out to a lot more charities, but then also feel like, you know, it should give the customer a little bit more control of where they may want their donation to go. The both charities, one will, I've always tried to make it a local charity, whether it's, you know, Philly or New York or somewhere close by. And then one could be more global. And so this way I would reach out to a lot more. Um, customers also would get, you know, an opportunity to read on different charities and pick and then change them up so we can make up a difference to more than one. one so where can one buy your products? Um, Muscon.com? Um yeah, uh, it's mus- muscanmakeup.com. Then it's also at the Philly store, the Indie Shelf. And I wanted to add that Sabine has a store in um, uh, Indy in South Philly. Would you call it South Philly or Southwest Philly? Yeah, South, South Philly. <laughs> she carries other natural brands along with Muscan there. So if, you're, if you live in the Philly area... Do try to look her up. Her, the name of the store is Indie Shelf, and she carries multiple brands there, including Muscon. We sell the lipsticks in store, so it gives the people um, a chance to you know play with them in store. But uh, right now, it's just my store, and then the website. And there's one more website. It's Love L O V E I N D I E B B is in boy. Okay. They were actually my first uh, retailer that she had reached out and said, you know, I want to carry your product. So that was really exciting for me. And then hopefully the next you know, year we'll get some more retailers that I'm working on. So fingers crossed. <laughs> Thank you, Sabine. This has been quite insightful and I can't wait to see what you'll create next. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a great time. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. We recorded this podcast at Q1067 in Lafayette, Indiana. Special thanks to Jim Stone, the owner of the radio station. The music for this podcast was composed by Tatum Gale. This is Mindful Businesses with Vedya Ayer.